Welcome to another inspirational episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Hi, I'm Kevin Tai, and I'm a musician. Writing background music for television can be artistically satisfying because, of course, you can put in the elements that you want. You can hide little things for yourself. Everybody does that kind of thing when they're working. There's always little bits and pieces of artistry that go into it. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? There's so many ways and so few ways to get gigs in this kind of work. You have to have an eye for opportunity. You have to know when they present themselves. But also networking is key. No job in this industry, and in many industries these days, will come through a resume. It's, it's an irrelevant document. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis. Not joining me this time is your co-host, Fred Keating. Fred is in Vancouver, Canada today. He's working on some other interviews for the podcast while I'm in Montreal, Canada. This is just a great city, and I'm actually back here, and I'm at the location. We've been here before. It's at Greenfield Guitars, and we previously interviewed Michael Greenfield from Greenfield Guitars. He's this fantastic custom hand-built guitar maker in Montreal, and I certainly encourage you to take a listen to that episode if you haven't already. He's been kind enough to lend us his space to do some other interviews. And with me now is Kevin Tai. Kevin is a musician. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. It's great that you've joined us. We want to talk about your career as a musician. Tell me what it is that you do. I write music for television mainly, and I've written music for theater, although that's not the mainstay of my career. And that's about it. I'm a studio musician, not a performing musician, as most people would assume when they hear the word musician. How did you get into this business? I started a long time ago uh, working in theater here in Montreal, and my interest was always in the audio aspect, technical audio mostly, although composition has always been a passion of mine, as it is for a lot of musicians. A lot of people like to write. Never really thought I would get the chance to do it professionally. But over the years, um, after my theater career, I started working in television, again on the technical side. And eventually an opportunity arose and I took it to do some writing. And that led to a bit more. And that's how I got into it. That's the abridged version. That's the short version of, of how it happened. It, went, it was over many years, of course, more than a decade. This uh, you know, was something that went on and on. But you, you, you go from job to job and you meet people and you take opportunities as they come. Now, for the benefit of our listeners, what does that mean actually writing music for theater, writing music for television? What does your day look like? It's a very unstructured kind of work. You have a certain amount of music that you may need to write by a certain deadline. So it's up to the individual how they want to structure their day or their week. Some days, you know, it comes better than others. And so you can write as much or as little as you want in a day, but you still have deadlines to meet. I'm the kind of person who needs to sort of front load the work in the sense that I have to, in order to feel comfortable and sleep at night, I need to get something done at the beginning right away to build a foundation for what I'm doing. So if I have a project online, maybe you know the deadline is 30 days away and I have to produce 15, 25 minutes of music somewhere in there, I wanna start right away and get some ideas down and build a base of, of ideas that I can work from over the rest of the period before the deadline. But what does my day look like? Well, you know, I've got a young son now, so my day looks a lot like uh, taking care of him and um, doing mundane household stuff during daylight hours. But every day, every day can be different. 
So this is really one of these endeavors where you're working as a contractor, you're working as a freelancer. How do you actually get the gigs? There's so many ways and so few ways to get gigs in this kind of work. You have to have an eye for opportunity. You have to know when they present themselves. But also networking is key. No job in this industry and in many industries these days will come through a resume. It's, it's an irrelevant document. And I've learned that over the years. There's no, there's simply no point. I mean, you should have one on hand, of course, but it's not going to get you the job. You're going to get a job from someone who knows somebody who needs some music or somebody who knows somebody who's starting a project or somebody that you worked with 20 years ago calls you out of the blue or some other manner of human contact. That's 99.9% .9 of the ways you get jobs. And a lot of times, it's simply that the phone will ring. And there are very long periods of your career where the phone doesn't ring. You know, that's the randomness of the universe. If somebody was like, oh, I got a job and maybe I'll call. Oh wait, I gotta do something else. And the phone call just never comes your way or the, the project never gets developed or whatever. You face these long periods of time where you're underemployed, to put it mildly. In those periods of time, it can be very frustrating. So you try to be proactive and you try to look for work. And it's sort of like trying to convince someone to go on a date with you. The more desperate you seem, the less likely you are to succeed. And that becomes a difficult cycle to break out of. Unless, of course, you get that phone call out of the blue, which might break the cycle for a little while, and then you're back on the work. It can seem that um, it's very mercurialist kind of work. It's very, um, it comes and it goes. I, in my experience, there's not much you can do proactively to actually create the jobs to bring them your way other than maintain good relationships with people, try to network with people, try to just be in contact with the kind of people who know what's going on elsewhere in the industry. Okay, understood. So now the work that you do ends up being, would you say the background tracks on television shows? That has been the majority of the work that I've done is background music. And when I was younger, the idea of writing background music for television would have been awful to me. I, you know, I wanted to do something in more large format, more grand, more pure in the music sense. But I have to say, as an adult, as an older person now, writing background music for television is probably the best gig you can have. Because, first of all, the music writing is fairly fluid. You don't have a lot of constraints on what you do. I mean, you get a feel. Of course, there are guidelines that you have to follow to make it work. But by and large, it's um, carte blanche. And if you write a piece of music and it doesn't work for a project, you put it in the you know you put it in your portfolio and wait for another project to come along. Maybe it'll work for that. So there's no real wasted time in that sense. Writing background music for television can be artistically satisfying because, of course, you can put in the elements that you want. You can hide little things for yourself. Everybody does that kind of thing when they're working. There's always little bits and pieces of artistry that go into it. You know, I mean, it's not writing symphonic music for an orchestra. That's a different kind of thing. It is much simpler than that, and it can get a little bit repetitive. But you see, the thing is, television has a guaranteed audience, and that's, well, a more or less guaranteed audience if, if the production is going well. And that's, to me, the most important thing. I mean, this is, after all, monetizing your creativity. And if you want to monetize your creativity, you need an audience. That's the first element of business in writing music. You need to get your work in front of an audience. And television has a built-in audience, and that audience is often very large. And it isn't limited to one country. A television show, if you're lucky, can be sold in multiple countries or all over the world. And it can go into syndication, and it can repeat. And you're, at least in Canada and in the States, we're protected to a certain degree by law that our intellectual property will 
uh, the money from that will come back to us to a certain degree. So in a general sense, then, the more popular the show becomes, the more widespread it becomes, the more money you as an artist might be able to make? Yes, that's essentially how the royalty system works. You are part owner of the intellectual property that you create. There's writer's share and there's publisher share. And there's, uh, you know, the, it's a complicated world, the idea of publishing, with a lot of numbers and um, little slices of the pie that get, you know, sp- spread around here and there. But generally, yeah, I mean, the more people watch the show means a greater advertising revenue for the broadcaster for that half hour or hour means generally the higher payout. It's a complicated, there's some sort of equation that they use, which combines the number of viewers, the advertising revenue of the broadcaster, the number of minutes, of course, of music, and what type of music, whether it's a theme or a background, whether it has vocals or is instrumental, all this stuff. And in the end, out comes a number, and that's your royalties. Is there a particular television show that you've worked on that you think is really notable? The majority of my work I did for the TV show How It's Made, which is a popular TV show around the world and tends to generate its own audience. There's nothing I could do to advertise that show. I mean, it has a very large audience pretty much on every continent. So I guess the short answer is no. I I don't have any particular show to draw anyone's attention to because there's nothing I could really do to add to the to the size of the audience of that show. It's quite large already. Sounds like it's one that you're really proud of. I'm very much proud of the work that I did, particularly because in the end, I contributed over 600 minutes of original music to the show. If you ever first sit down and try to write 10 seconds of music, maybe you have an idea that lasts 10 seconds. Well, then go on to the next 10 seconds and see how that takes. When I was younger, I never would have dreamt in my life that I could have produced so much music. And of course, I've done other things as well. So the total output I've done in my life is, you know, well, I don't know. I never calculated it. And there are many musicians who have done much more than that. I'm not saying this is a, an enormous accomplishment in the, in the musical realm. It's just that for myself, never ever having had the direct vision of being a composer for television as a career choice when I was younger, I feel very fortunate where I've ended up. And am I proud? Sure, because it's, it represents a lot of work, a lot of overnights, a lot of weekends, a lot of time, you know, sitting and concentrating and trying to produce output, which is a serious job. I, there's many people who think that it's just playing around and it's just goofing off but in the end you have to produce things to a certain specification and in a large amount and uh, with a certain degree of professionalism or else it won't be good enough it has to be broadcast quality and all this sort of stuff and you have to know what that means and so it takes it takes many years of training and practice and then of course there's an entire music education behind it as well I'm not usually used to saying I'm proud of the work that I've done because background music and television is a little bit poo-pooed by people as being a bit of a lark. But like anything else, it's serious work and you have to sit down and do it. And um, you have to uh, be prepared to sweat through certain moments where nothing seems to be coming. And you have to just, like anything else, it's 99% perspiration, as they say. Well said. Now, are there some other opportunities as well for people of your skills and talents, for instance, working on music libraries? Music libraries are pretty much the go-to method for a lot of production houses now to get their music. It used to be that in the, in, in the good old days, and every generation talks about their own good old days, but you know, before the proliferation of easily distributable digital media, the paradigm would generally be for a composer to work on contract with a production company to create original music for a show. This is really not the case anymore. Music libraries, as you say, are the go-to source for music for most productions these days, be it anything from online advertising agencies to large television productions, they generally just consult libraries. And when you say, are there any opportunities? I would probably respond that, or I am responding, that libraries are pretty much the only opportunity 
not the only one, but by and large, the only opportunity that you're going to find. You need to be in a library because that's where people find music these days. The problem with that is that any single person is only a drop in the bucket. And there are millions and millions of tracks out there written by hundreds of thousands of people all sitting in libraries waiting to be picked up on a TV show. And that's the great difficulty of our time right now for people who do what I do. How do you stand out? How do you become noticed? It's a double-edged sword to say new media and digital technologies allow anyone to write music. They do, yes, but they also allow anyone to write music and pretty much everyone does. So there's vastly more available now than there ever was. And on top of it all, it's very much anonymous. So how do you get, you're just some guy who has some tracks in a library. You have to create a personality with that. That's very hard because you'll have a music supervisor or a producer or a director, somebody go through a library and listen to five five seconds of each track and it's got to it's got to connect with them for what they want in those first five or ten seconds because they're not going to give you any more time than that and that's just they don't care who you are and they don't care how much trouble you went to to write the music they're just going to listen to a bit of it and um, it's almost a lottery in which your chances of winning <laughs> diminish year over year because libraries just simply grow and grow but yes libraries are by and large the main opportunity right now for people who want to write music for television so I guess it would be true to say that music libraries really aren't a relationship business, but what you do, producing custom music for television shows, would be a relationship business. And in large part, you get the gig based on your relationships with the producers and directors. Yes, for me, that's exactly how it worked out. And that's the great difficulty that I have now and others have in this industry is that you're trying to create relationships which are essentially required that trust, that personal knowledge of one another, that, hey, I like that guy, let's use his stuff, is extremely difficult in a time of music libraries. And yet, music libraries are basically the only place where people are gonna look to hear your music. So you're faced with this dilemma or this difficulty of being a, of, of having to be in a library, but also needing to say, hey, um, my name is such and such, how do you do? I'm a cool guy, use my stuff, and create a personal relationship with the people who are in the end going to choose your music from the library or not. That's a very difficult thing to ask because the two don't work well together. The music can come from the Philippines and be picked up for a TV show in England or the States or Canada or something like that, or or any combination of countries around the world. And you will probably never meet the producers in that sense. But what you want to do as a musician is not just be this anonymous contributor to a massive library of a million tracks, but to make a personal contact with somebody who makes these decisions. Like you wanna be in the face of the person who, the music supervisor, the director, whoever, who has to say about, hey, I like this track or I like this guy, let's use his music. Because more often than not, that's in any industry, that's how it works. The music is secondary. It's, I like that guy. You know, we get along, he seems cool, he works hard. Let's see if his music's okay. And if it's okay, they'll use it. It doesn't have to be the music that strikes them as, as the best because they can go out and listen to a million tracks if they want, or they could get a guy that they've worked with before and that they trust, or that they haven't worked with before, but that they like and they trust to come in and do the music. And it goes back to the idea of the resume. The resume is almost an irrelevant document. You need to have a personal connection.
And so at the same time, while you're anonymous, you need to try to find a way to, to be personal with people. Absolutely. Now we're just about up on time. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to our listeners about how they can be earning a living with their creativity? For musicians, the most powerful thing that you have is the ownership of your intellectual property. Simply put, that's royalties and so forth. Because royalties will keep on paying forever, even after you die. If you have music on the radio, or on television, or in some format that gets rebroadcast. In North America, the law states that you get a certain minimum amount of these royalties, and the other royalties are up for negotiation with other you know, parties for various reasons. But my advice is to always have that in mind, that when you write music, it's not just a song, it's not just a pretty sounding thing or a, an idea, a, something that you want to express. It has intellectual property value and that value increases as you get it in front of a bigger audience. So fundamentally, there's two things that you want to do. You want to create a work that's, you know, to your satisfaction, but also to the needs of the project that you're working on. And you want to find a way to get it in front of an audience. Music is a business. Some people don't want it to be, but it is. It's a business. And the intellectual property is what pays you in the end, especially in television and in radio. You can sell units or tracks online and you'll make a few cents for each one, but it's the intellectual property that's the important thing. Keep track of it and try to get it in front of an audience. Great thoughts. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.